I sometimes describe myself as a Presbyterian that the Holy Spirit has tinkered with. <laughs> and, um, I, I was so glad to come into contact with you heard of Struthers Group of Churches and uh, so glad when I attended worship there and never, never heard worship like it and, you know in my tradition worship's one of the things you get out of the way you know you just get it out of the way as soon as possible because the main thing is coming to hear the preacher as though so I'm the centre of, of how people come to church Come to worship the Lord our God. Amen. And uh, listening to his word is part of that. Part of our worship, an important part. But you know, I just loved when I came into contact with Pentecostal and charismatic churches that just gave time to the Lord in worship. And uh, I love coming here because I don't know any more anointed worship than when Graham leads us. It's just absolutely uh, wonderful. Um, I, I think I want to leave aside what I prepared for this uh, second talk. It, you know, sometimes I think we, we've reached the point that God meant us to reach. And I really felt, in, you know, what Robert was saying about 1 Corinthians 13, we'd really, really reached a good point about what needs to become real in our life. Uh, the love of God, the, the uh, the love described in 1 Corinthians 13, if we're going to have any uh, impact. And, and I don't want that to take us too far away from that. Uh, I may get back, or I may not, to what I feel that perhaps I have to share, but maybe that can wait for another time. But there's, uh, I'll just say what, what went off in my head as he was uh, speaking. Uh, the first thing was the whole business surrounding patience and and not being rude and, and so on. And forgive me those of you who are, are part of the men's fellowship here, but I couldn't help going back to something I think I shared when I was with you here a few weeks ago. And that was about a meeting that actually happened in Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky. And it happened on April the 19th, 2022. So it was quite recent, it must have been a post-Easter uh, convention or something. And there were 12,000 evangelical leaders descended upon Louisville, Kentucky. And it was the most brilliant Bible teaching you could hear anywhere in the world. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, who was Moen, uh, minister at Moen Church, Citron in Glasgow. And uh, John Piper and Alistair Beck. Just brilliant, brilliant Bible teachers. And please, what I'm, what I'm about to say I, I'm not attributing any of what I'm about to say to their ministry because they're, min they're men of God and wonderful teachers of God's word. But a survey was conducted amongst the coffee houses that the um, attendees, the conference attendees, would go to and break out into after the conference was over. And they asked in the seven coffee houses that were most frequented, they asked uh, two questions. And the first question was, how did you find the people from the conference? And you, you know, if you've heard the story, you'll know, but if you'll not, you'll just not believe this. The unfailingly consistent answer in all seven coffee houses was we found them rude. In one coffee house, the response was, we find them very rude. 
This is 12,000 evangelical leaders who had just sat under the most wonderful Bible teaching. My, my own minister, I'm now a member of a church in Stornoway, and my own minister there, Tommy McNeil, he preached a sermon not long ago saying that we're not meant to be a swamp, we're meant to be a river. You know, and we can sit in church and we can get fed by the most wonderful, wonderful teaching. But we're just becoming like a swamp. If there's no outflow, if there's no overflow. But we're just becoming like, I, I think I felt a wee bit like this, to be honest, when I was a member of the Tron before I had to leave and do all my various placements, that I sat under the most wonderful Bible teaching. I don't know if you've heard of George B. Duncan, just an amazing Bible teacher, just a wonderful, beautiful preacher. I don't think I've ever heard a better preacher in my life. Just a Keswick speaker, etc. And then followed by Eric Alexander, who is just unparalleled in terms of preaching in an expository way. I couldn't help but thinking, are we just getting like batter and batter sponges soaking up all this brilliant stuff? And again, I'm not attributing that to these men. Please hear what I'm saying. And I compared that to the Tron that I knew when I was three years old. And I remember the smell of downhouse. And I remember seeing women who I didn't know at the time were clearly prostitutes. And latterly it just made me think, hmm. Yep, it's easy to become a swamp. Rather than the river. And it may not be the intention of those in leadership in the church, but it's so easy just to become like that. And I recalled a story that George Duncan actually told after he succeeded Tom Allen, who was the minister back in the 50s and 60s. And after Tom Allen died early, he did burn himself out. He also was a heavy smoker. And, and, but he, the, the increase in the church was tremendous. They used to have rallies and they used to have overflow meetings and because the church, I don't know how many it sat, maybe a thousand, it wasn't big enough to take everybody that was coming in. He had a tremendous outreach just to folk, you know, that lived on the street. And after he died, um, George Duncan picked up the phone and the voice at the other end said, um, could I speak to Tom Allen please, it's two in the morning. And uh, George Duncan said, oh, I'm terribly sorry. And, didn't you know Tom Allen has died? And he heard sobbing at the other end of the line, of the line. And it was a prostitute. And she shared how just a few weeks ago she'd been in Tom Allen's vestry at two in the morning and he'd washed the vomit off her dress for her. A swamp rather than a River, a river rather than a swamp. 
something when I read that story about Louisville. I, you know, it's easy to point at a crowd of 12,000 Americans, but, but are we really any different? I'm just asking in all honesty. Are we, are we really any different? I think the second thing that struck me as Robert was speaking was just when he started off talking about loving God and loving our neighbour and it was just, um, I found myself thinking about the order that Jesus puts himself in, puts these things in and um, if, if he were going strictly according to the Old Testament he would actually have put loving your neighbour first before loving God because loving your neighbour comes in Leviticus 19 and loving God comes in Deuteronomy 6. But I think there's wisdom in what he says. Because I really think it's only as we spend time loving God and contemplating him and worshipping him and spending time in his presence that we get what we need to sustain us in terms of loving other people. Loving other people is not easy. I was just recalling as Robert went through that list what, why it needs to begin in the love of God um, and contemplating him and being filled with him. Um, because Wester Hales for it to stop being minister because of health limitations. I, I was never as happy anywhere as a minister. It was just the most wonderful place to minister. And, um, but I was remembering one person and uh, probably I made the mistake, he, he really needed the whole body to support him, he was so chaotic and I tried to do mu too much for him on my own. And I remember I had him in the car once taking him to the court for the umpteenth time and we had another friend from Wester Hills that was also going to the Sheriff Court in Edinburgh. And they started arguing with one another in the back of my car. And the language got more and more foul and it got louder and louder. And eventually I slammed on my brakes. And this is not me, really, uh, usually. And I said, right, get out my car. And I said, what do you mean? I said, I don't have to put up with this. Your language, your shouting, your aggression. And you're hanging out the window there giving any police car, you see the one finger. I don't have to put up with this any longer. And there was silence for a moment. And then one of them said, What's up with you this morning? <laughs> <laughs> Because whatever else 1 Corinthians 13 is, 
It's maybe a description of the way that I should love, but it's certainly a, way that, a description of the way that God does love. And I need to receive from him. And I need to be filled with him. You know, there's two writers that have, uh, or two people that have meant a lot to me in the, the, the course of my Christian life. And one of them is Hugh Black. He, he really, I don't know, I think Eric Alexander helped me to understand the word of God, but somehow Hugh Black helped me to, I don't know, just understand the ways of God somehow, the, the way that God works and how to minister in the world. And uh, one of the things that he used to quote was actually that the group of churches is called Struthers because the building they meet used to be, I think it was either United Free or Church of Scotland, it was named after a famous minister called Struthers of Greenock. And uh, Struthers of Greenock used to say this, and Hugh Black quoted it often with great approval, Christianity would fare far better if Christians did some bonny things. I really like that. So that I've always kept in the back of my mind. But the other thing I keep in the back of my mind is actually, there's a Roman Catholic writer that I really, really like called Henry now. And that doesn't mean I agree with everything he says. I don't think I've ever met a Christian that I agree with everything they say. But I love his simplicity. He said, when you look at Jesus, it's very clear and very simple. His day, more or less, was divided into three. He spent time with his father. He spent time in the fellowship of his disciples, instructing them. And he spent time on mission. It's not rocket science, is it? He spent time with his father. <clears throat> and in that place of time with his father, there was a hearing morning by morning. The father opened his ear. Opened his ear to his will so that he then had an instructed tongue, knowing what to say in the course of the day. And then he spent time with his disciples so that he'd come to faith building them up together. And then he went out and they went out. Friends, we're not a secular organization. I praise God for every secular organization that genuinely seeks to help human beings. And we should pray blessing on them. Because there's such a thing as common grace. And there are many organizations that have nothing to do with God. And yet I believe God inspired them to be. And God is blessing them with sheer common grace. That the world is full of the common grace of God. He, he causes his sun and his rain to, to shine and to fall upon the the righteous and the unrighteous. He gives us things like doctors and the NHS. But friends, we are not a secular organization. And so our reaching out with love and care and help, we, we cannot 
ignore these other two elements. We first of all love God. We then put that love into practice by building one another up within the fellowship of Christ. And then together, the river flows from there. And I think the third thing that came to mind was actually during, uh, during the worship there. We, we are an army. You know, we were singing songs of victory, songs of demons will have to flee, and there's no doubt about it. And I think Westerhills showed me this. It's not this, it's the same everywhere, but somehow in that wee place confined to such a small area with so many people, you, you saw this so clearly that our fight as we seek to help people is not against flesh and blood. There's something behind it all. And the thing that's behind it all is the one who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. You know, I, I, folk draw you into debates and folk would draw me into things during the pandemic. Was this of God? Was, was that of God? Was it not from God? Was it judgment? Was it this? Was that? I actually have no idea. But I do know what the Bible declares. The devil's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he hates human beings. And the reason he hates human beings is they're made in the image of God. And he really wants to distort that image. And to steal all that living up to our true glory, all the riches that that could bring. In, in, in our lives. And I guess that this day is no point unless we're going to go from here and be that army. I shared with you before that um, when Morag and I first went to Wester Hills, we were the youngest by 20 years of the volunteers. And as we were making our way um, down the, the cold stone corridors to the chapel in Shots Prison, three of the eight or nine volunteers had walking sticks. And they were tap, tap, tapping on these cold, cold corridors, making their way to see. Friends, a lot of these men were not just murderers, they were. They were murderers extreme. You know, they were dismemberers. They, they were the most foul possible human crimes. And yet as I as I heard that tap tapping, I, I felt the Spirit of God saying, Do you hear that sound? That's the army. Yeah, that's the army. That's the army. And any human beings looking in would have thought, what army? And they can hardly walk. But they're God's army. Amen. 
And the amazing thing is that he, he uses those who in themselves are weak and frail. Friends, can I, can I be totally honest? I, I might be the shyest person in this room. You, you might not believe that. There, there's nothing in me by personality that enjoys being in front of other people. I, I'm not naturally gregarious. I would be quite happy in a desert island with a pot of coffee. That's who I feel I am, and that's what I think fits my personal. Every time I preach, there's, there's two reasons. I think God has given me the gift of doing that, but it's a gift that is totally out of line with my personality. And I do this as one who feels, I'll, I'll tell you, in case you wonder about the machinations of a preacher's mind. I sat for four hours last night thinking I've got nothing to say. I got up at five o'clock this morning and I looked at my notes and I threw them in the bin. Because yeah. I thought, this is just rubbish. I, I can only do this through God. And when I'm calling, or Robert's calling us to love and to reach out and to help, that there's, there's no one feels more inadequate for that than me. But each morning I get up and I go out my door and storm away. And I say, Father, I'm yours. So please use me. And somehow the power that he gives is greater than the inadequacies I feel. And I too can be part of his army. And astonishing though it may seem, in the name of Jesus we have the victory. And some of these most disturbed of lives that I come into contact with. In the name of Jesus. I really can take victory into that life. And it doesn't matter how sinful they are. Because actually this is the goodness of God. You know the difference between a self-righteous person and a truly righteous God. A self-righteous person is content with their own sins being forgiven and their own righteousness. God's not content with his own righteousness. Psalm 25. You are good and upright. Therefore you teach sinners your ways. Perfect goodness is not self-righteous. It wants to encourage others out of sin and into ways of goodness. Because it's on his ways we discover 
all his ways are steadfast love and faithfulness. So when I talk about us reaching out as an army to help people, we're not ignoring their need to surrender to God. Yes, we give what help we can, and it's unconditional. But we can't hide this message. That if they really want to know the help of God, they need to surrender their ways to God. And yes, in Western Hills, we loved and we loved and we helped and we helped and we supported and we supported and we would never withhold that. We took all conditions off our food bank. They didn't need to be referred to anybody. They came, they could get they could get free soup, they could get free whatever. We took conditions off. And some of that love we saw no return for. Some of it was quite funny. They did a children's address where we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit and we marked apples with love and joy and peace and we gave them away to the kids. Some of the members of the congregation later that afternoon answered a knock at the door and it was the kids trying to tell, sell them the apples that they'd received for nothing at the morning service. So of course you get taken for a ride. But you keep giving. If for any other reason, we've not got the time to check up whether we've been taken for a ride or not. But I'll end with this, because this was the passage that I felt I to speak with, and I'll just end with this, and I think that will be enough, so as we don't go uh, beyond where I, I think God meant us to go. It's from Ecclesiastes, and uh, it's from chapter 11. And it just says this, the, the older versions used to say, cast your bread upon the waters and after many days it may return to you. Yeah. I, I always found that a bit odd when I first heard that as a young believer. I thought, cast your bread in the water, but all you're going to get is soggy bread. You know, it's, <laughs> what's the point in that, you know? But actually, the, I think the newer translations probably have it more accurately. This is what they say. Uh, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes and eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And then going on to verse six, there's the verses in between about all the certainties and all the uncertainties that we have no control over, things that God has control over, that we have no control over. But verse 6, does that lack of uncertainty stop us from being businessmen investing and casting our grain across the sea? No. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So this is actually a, this is advice for businessmen. Did you know there were such things in the Bible? Because God's concerned about the whole of life. He actually cares about every aspect of human endeavour and activity. And here's wisdom from God if you're a businessman. 
And basically what is being told here is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Invest in seven or eight different places. Cast your grain upon the waters, let it go away from you. And then after many days, it, it may return, you may get a return from it. But the picture here is not about soggy bread. This is the picture. Imagine yourself on the banks of the Nile and you, you cast your grain into the waters, into the flood waters. And as the floods go out, they, they carry your grain out. But some of the grain falls into the fertile mud. And in due course, it produces a harvest. Will it all produce a harvest? No. But some of it may. Friends, we've got to love unconditionally. We've got to scatter the love of God willy-nilly. We've got to share that love, whether the person is in any way at all deserving or not. We've got to share the love, not with a view of getting, but we hope that in some at least the grain will sink in, and that will, some will come to know the love of God that is motivating us, and some will come to know the Jesus in whose name we're being out. You know, it, re it really is about business, but do you know what? You, you and I are meant to be about kingdom business. We're, we're, meant, we're in a business. Remember Jesus saying, didn't you know, I had to be busy about my father's business when he was found in the temple. And his business was the father's kingdom. And all that that meant. And he showed what it meant. He not only died for our sins, the greatest victory of that kingdom, but he fed the hungry. And he healed the sick. And he freed the oppressed. And sometimes I think we should get a business card printed. And the business would be kingdom of God. And the logo in the middle would be a cross. And the strap line along the bottom would be not to be served, but to serve. And so I'm really asking at the end of the day, are, are we willing to invest in that business? Are we ready to enlist in that army? Because there's a sense in which how can we expect there to be any harvest of surrender from those we're trying to help if there's no surrender in us? Like produces like. I was just reading, actually, and I'll close with this. This was in my notes. I'll need to try and find it because I've not stuck to my notes. Um, but I saw, actually, on, on some sort of social media there that uh, 
General Ulysses Grant, you know, who was in charge of the uh, Union forces in the uh, American Civil War. Uh, his Scottish mansion was up for sale. It's just costing three million if any of you want to buy it. One of the youth workers in Mark's Memorial in Stornoway, who's Canadian, said, well, she considered it, but there was no Highland cattle for sale along with it, so she thought she would just give it a miss. Well, Ulysses Grant had a nickname. Do you know what it was? He was called Ulysses Unconditional Surrender Grant. And the reason for that was these were the terms in which he negotiated the surrender of the Confederate forces. And the first of the, the generals of the first of the Confederate armies, I think, to surrender was a General Buckland. And uh, he sent a letter to Ulysses Grant asking for terms of surrender and to meet and discuss them. And uh, this was the reply from Ulysses Grant and how he got his nickname. Sir, this date yours, proposing armistice and appointment of conveners to settle terms of surrender, your letter is recorded. Then he gives his reply. No terms except unconditional surrender can be accepted. I propose to move immediately upon your works. In other words, you do it now. Unconditional surrender. No terms. And if we want to see people surrendering to Christ, well, light produces light. I thank God for Sundays because my heart wavers. I thank God for conferences like this because it gives me an opportunity to ask myself, where am I really? Where am I really? Okay, I'm doing the stuff, I'm doing the work, I'm doing the ministry, but where am I really? Where's the joy I knew when I first saw the Lord? Where's that joyful surrender with which I sang, I surrender all. And days like today, as well as every Sunday, thank God for Sundays, to give us the opportunity just to say, I'm enlisting in the army. You're my king, my God, my general, the captain of my salvation, and I offer you my unconditional surrender. To spread your unconditional love to everything that breathes. You've told me to preach the gospel to every creature, and I want to show your unconditional love to every creature along with it. I want nothing else other than when I step out the door in the morning that through the way I look and speak and act and interact people will know something of your love. I'm enlisting in your army. You know, I learned so much from my son. David was, uh, uh, Robert was talking about his sons. My, my son, for various reasons, he doesn't go to church because of, well, we had significant 
horrible stuff happening in the church when he was younger. He's not yet quite got over that, but his faith is very real. I, I've noticed him if we're out in a cafe together and I just grab a cup of coffee and go and sit down. I turn around, he's talking to the waitress. How's your day been today? If we're walking through a street together, you'll walk with me and all of a sudden you'll walk back to a homeless man or woman. And friends, it's not just the odd change in his pocket he puts in. He goes to the cash machine before he walks along the street. He's a soldier of Christ. And we could do of more like him in the church. So that we really do become a river rather than a swamp. So, Father, whatever you mean us to hold on to from today, I pray that we will. And I just repeat my prayer of the morning, Lord. May it produce fruit 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. May it not be snatched away by the birds of the air. And may we find ourselves saying in a fresh way, I'm, I'm yours. I give myself as a partner in the Father's business. I enlist in the army. In the hope that men and women might surrender their lives. To the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.